This week in KMA Land, Summit witnesses testify in IUB pipeline hearing. Page County supervisors explore home base Iowa program. Clarinda High School senior killed in accident. Red Oak Council ratifies police salaries. Aspire seeks to inspire a new workforce. And floats and tractors and bands, oh my, in Essex. I'm Mike Peterson. It was Summit Carbon Solutions' turn this week to state its case for a major pipeline project. Witnesses representing Summit testified through the third week of the Iowa Utilities Board's continuing evidentiary hearing on the company's application to construct around 700 miles of CO2 pipeline across the state, including counties in KMA land. During Tuesday's testimony, Summit Chief Operating Officer Jimmy Powell faced intense cross-examination from Omaha Attorney Brian Jordy, representing landowners opposed to the pipeline project. After Powell confirmed the project's purpose was to generate a profit for Summit, Jordy asked what who benefits from the pipeline. If we're doing a balancing analysis as between your proposed project, which is, as you just admitted, for the profit of applicant, you would agree that, in effect, the tie should go to the runner here, which would be the Iowans that are opposed to this project. Well, I think the benefits are more than just Summit Carbon. The benefits are to the ethanol plants, their workers, and the farmers who supply corn to those ethanol plants. It's the profitability of, of the ethanol plants that's at play here as well as their contribution to the economies in their, in their counties, in their communities. During his testimony, Powell disclosed Summit has secured approximately 73 percent of the easements necessary to construct the pipeline. Jordy asked Powell whether the company mentioned the possible use of eminent domain in letters sent to prospective landowners in an effort to scare them into signing an easement. Powell replied Summit currently has no eminent domain powers. It's, it's my recollection that the IUB process is prescriptive as to what has to be included in those notifications to landowners. Why did you sue Iowa landowners for survey access just to dismiss those cases? We have to have access to properties to survey, and the process within Iowa allows us to do that with 10-day notification. Jordy also questioned why Summit declined to utilize CO2 dispersion or plume modeling in developing the pipeline's path. Powell responded, it's not used for routing purposes. You know that FEMSA requires any operator and obviously Summit to perform dispersion modeling to determine what impact um, your route or your pipeline operation may have on a high consequence area. And so that's what we've done. We take that dispersion modeling, we take the outputs and we put them in a risk assessment. That determines the probability and potential severity of any impact. Powell added that of the 686 miles of pipeline proposed in Iowa, there is about 1.13 miles of direct impact to high consequence areas in a worst-case release scenario, or less than 1%. James Paroli, the company's chief commercial officer, was among those testifying on behalf of Summit Wednesday. Jordy questioned Paroli on whether Section 45Q tax credits the company stands to receive under the Inflation Reduction Act, will remain intact in the future. While saying there is no assurances regarding Section 45Q's future availability, Parley says there's no history of such benefits going away. There is a, a history of these types of tax credits once they're in place um, not being uh, rescinded while they're underway. So from that standpoint, uh, there is you know, good certainty around that. And with the history of the, the 45Q tax credit, it's, it's been, um, 
you know, bipartisan, several uh, administrations in a row have um, increased and enhanced and, and further solidified that program. So there, there seems to be a lot of support for it. When asked whether Summit is willing to share Section 45Q benefits with landowners hosting the pipeline, Paroli replied yes. He added easement payments reflected a significant portion of future revenues. You know, when we look at this, the core founding principles behind the project are the benefits to agriculture and ethanol and to the rural economies. And so we feel that landowners will continue to benefit long into the future based on um, higher values for the, the crops that they produce. However, Paroli acknowledged property owners would not be paid in an annual basis. He also addressed a line of questioning as to whether the company's profitability is tied to corn prices and ethanol sales, among other factors. Corn prices are not always tied to gasoline, so in that um, in that situation, it's correct. But, uh, you know, there's a there's a situation where the value of carbon and, and lower carbon ethanol uh, has significant value as well that's you know not necessarily linked to the price of gasoline. More testimony from parties representing Summit and others are expected next week. Page County is exploring participation in an initiative connecting veterans with local employers. Meeting in regular session Thursday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors discussed a resolution to support for the county's participation in the Home Base Iowa initiative. According to its website, the program is directly integrated with Iowa Works, the state's largest job bank and home of tools for finding careers across Iowa. Former Governor Terry Branstad and Major General Tim Orr, the Iowa National Guard, founded the program in 2014. Supervisor Todd Maher says the initiative provides several benefits and tax incentives for veterans transitioning back to civilian life. So they do a lot for veterans and try to get them uh, Help them with housing, help them with jobs, uh, help them put, put them in touch with the right people. Um, it sounds like a really good program. I think Clarinda is already one of those uh, HBI cities. And Clarinda became a home base Iowa program in 2019 and now offers incentives ranging from housing to discounts at local stores. Mayher hopes to get the ball rolling on ensuring similar incentives are provided throughout the county. I think it goes a long ways. And just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a lady that was, you know, talking about veterans with the flags and the banners. And I just think, you know, the more we can do for veterans, the better. Other requirements for becoming an HBI county include having 10% of county businesses supporting the program and the county offering incentive packages for veterans. Mayher provided three different examples of resolutions from previous counties. We don't have to recreate the wheel. Maybe we could, you know, make one of these our own. He said this is kind of the standard for resolutions of what other counties have done. So I said I would bring that to the board and we would discuss and, and see if there was something that you three, or us three, would like to uh, pursue with two of the resolutions from Worth and Cedar County being identical, Supervisor Judy Clark suggested simply following the Cedar County ordinance and having the auditor's office type the resolution for next week's meeting. Clarinda School District this week mourned the passing of a student in a Labor Day weekend accident. 18-year-old Seeger V. Mace of Coyne, a senior at Clarinda High School, 
was killed in a motorcycle accident in northwest Missouri Sunday. Authorities say the accident occurred on Railroad Street approaching Route C near Elmo. Clarinda 712 Principal Luke Cox told KMA News the district worked with a Green Hills Area Education Agency counseling team to assist the district's students and staff in coping with Mace's death. We met with them uh, via Zoom and, and they've provided some additional counseling uh, counselors to come down and uh, be available for any students and staff on top of um, our school district counselors as well. Being able to provide those services for our staff and students is very important when dealing with something like this during this difficult time. Cox's counselors were available when classes resumed on Tuesday and remained on call through the week. He adds having additional support in place for students and staff is critical in the grieving process since some might have yet to go through a similar experience and the process varying from person to person. To help um, answer questions if, if they can, um, can be answered, but mostly just be able to allow kids to uh, and staff to be able to just vent emotions, um, uh, initial responses, being able to help them just kind of work through um, some of those feelings that they have. A stranger to few, Cox says Mace will be remembered by his friends and teachers in the district as a kind individual who put others before himself. Seeger would always um, ask how others were doing before talking about himself. He would always ask his friends and ask some teachers, you know, how their weekend was or how they were, uh, you know, how what they do last night, that type of stuff. Because he was always interested in how others were doing and how others were feeling. And having that type of character tells a lot about a person. Cox also extended the district's thoughts and prayers to Mace's family during the difficult time. The high school principal says Clarinda also worked with the South Page to a district where Mace was also a student. When the Essex High School band hits the streets, it can mean only one thing. It's Labor Day. There is no place like Essex was the theme of this year's celebration, climaxed by the traditional parade spanning a one-mile course across the community. In addition to the usual sorbet of floats, tractors, and bands, oh my, some VIPs dotted the parade, including this year's Grand Marshals, Dennis and Teresa Perry. Residents since 1978, Dennis coached Essex youth and high school sports and played slow-pitch softball. Teresa established her own business. Teresa Hair Design orchestrated several community-wide treasure hunts, sharing historical information about the community. Teresa Perry told KMA News they've always felt at home in Essex. We were both from smaller towns. We lived in Shenandoah before we moved here and we're looking for a house and somebody suggested Essex and we came here and we liked it right from the beginning and have stayed. The Perrys joined family members on the Essex Community Club float. Dennis says they always enjoyed the parade as spectators. Oh, I like the, the parades and just the, all the people that come. I mean, there's tons of people from other towns that come to this, this parade, and it's big. It's about an hour long, and it, they go right by our house. And for years, we sat by it just right out in the yard and waved to everybody and had a good time. <laughs> also having a good time in the parade was Miss Essex for 2023, Kirsten Kalkas, and Little Miss Essex, five-year-old Georgia Dumbler. A junior at Essex High School, Kalkas was encouraged by an instructor to enter the contest. Second runner-up last year, Kalkas says winning it this year came as a surprise. I was shocked because there was more contestants than there was last year, so I really didn't think there was as much of a chance as last year. 
Kalka says the parade and entire Labor Day celebration has deep meaning for Essex and for her personally. If you can tell, there's a lot of people here in Essex today. And to me, I think it's super important, even not being Miss Essex or participating in this stuff, it's super important to me. This year's parade had its unscheduled moments. Some emergency vehicles originally participating answered a medical call along the parade route. Prior to the parade, city officials barred Shenandoah Pride, an organization supporting LGBTQ plus individuals, from parade participation, citing the safety of the public and parade participants amongst the reasons. Officials of the American Civil Liberties Union indicated possible litigation against the city for excluding Shenandoah Pride from the parade. Essex kicked off its annual Labor Day celebration late Friday afternoon, actually, with what one official called the end of a long, long journey. Local residents gathered for a ribbon-cutting ceremony marking the completion of the Essex Opera House's renovation. Originally a church, the structure was moved in 1877 to its present location at 701 Iowa Street by the Essex Booster Club. From 1894 to 1948, the facility held music events. Then the Essex American Legion purchased the building as a site for community meetings and events until 2010. After serving as a bar and grill, the building sat vacant for many years until local residents decided to renovate it. Former Essex Mayor Marion Durfee was among those spearheading the restoration process. Durfee says the building was in poor shape. It was not fun coming in and cleaning up, and I was involved in that. But, you know, we all pitched in and had to do it. So it sat empty for a while then till we could get enough money organized to start in with some renovations. In 2019, the Essex City Council purchased the building of the city's Opera House Committee, initiated efforts to secure grant money for the refurbishment. Diane Lilliadal chairs the city's Restoration Committee. Lilliadal says the renovation process took about a year and a half. It had a new roof on it, thanks to an anonymous donor. And then we tore out some of the uh, walls and open it up and put new flooring in. We had a donor that gave us a new kitchen, new bathrooms, new electrical, all new sheetrock or drywall and paint. And so it's pretty new from head to toe. City officials say the Opera House is available for wedding receptions, family gatherings, class reunions and other activities. Anyone wishing to rent the building should contact Essex City Hall at 712-379-3444. Red Oaks police officers are getting a pay raise following action by the Red Oaks City Council this week. By a 4 to nothing vote Tuesday evening, the council approved an amendment to the Memorandum of Understanding with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters for the Red Oak Police Department, including the negotiated base wage increases for 2023 and also a 2024 cost-of-living percentage adjustment. Red Oak Mayor Shonda Sylvia says negotiations ended with a 9% base wage increase across the board, including various levels of patrolmen, investigators, community relations, and record positions. Sylvia's adds the boost also comes after comparing the city's wages to those in the region and communities of similar size. They recognized the proactive nature of us looking to increase their wages because that shows that we're supporting our police officers um, and trying to be competitive with our area, not only regionally, but within communities that are our size. We still are a little bit low. Many departments have a 
increased wage plus a cost of living. And in the past, we've just been offering a cost of living. That's why we've gotten so far below. The council also previously approved base wage increases and cost of living adjustments for fire department and non-union employees. Meanwhile, Silvius adds the amendment also includes a seven and three quarters percent cost of living increase for 2024. The state public safety agreement is six and a half percent for the next year. Uh, I had suggested a 5%, which would only be 2.75 above what we had previously set for 2024. And through conversation, not knowing that we don't typically give an additional wage increase, um, we decided to go with a full 5% over and above the 2.75. Police Chief Justin Ramey says the wage increases could go a long way in helping retain officers in a competitive job industry. Valuable officers. We, we obviously got to get with the ball game and stay competitive because you can look at anywhere in the state of Iowa. There's, there's departments offering sign on bonuses of, you know, eight, ten thousand dollars trying to lure certified officers in. So to keep those individuals, we most certainly are going to have to pay for them. There's no doubt about that. The wage increases are effective for pay starting July 1st, 2023, and running through June 2025. Councilman Scott Keith abstained. Some KMA land school districts and business leaders are joining forces to increase the region's workforce. Officials with the Iowa West Foundation, Iowa Western Community College, Avenue Scholars of Southwest Iowa, and six Pottawatomie County school districts were involved in a new initiative called Aspire. Announced at a special event at Iowa Western's Council Bluffs campus Thursday morning, the new initiative provides about $1.1 million to partnering entities to support and prepare the next generation of workers for in-demand careers. Brenda Manwaring is the foundation's president and CEO. Manwaring tells Tells KMA News the new program gives all students access to education, supporting a strong start after graduation. We understand that the needs of schools and the needs of students has changed a lot in the last few years, but certainly in the last decade. And so we had to rethink how we were connecting with schools. They were already doing terrific work for workplace training, but they couldn't do enough. More students wanted access. That's where we could come in and boost their resources, either to continue existing programs or to, or to create new ones. Opportunities available under Aspire and the existing programs include apprenticeships, internships, two-year or four-year colleges or entering the workforce. Aspire will also provide increased access to Iowa Western's college and career transition counselors, Avenue Scholars Support Systems, and Iowa Jobs for America's Graduates, or IJAC. Iowa Western President Dr. Daniel Kinney says his school will partner with school districts to provide those opportunities to students and help them figure out what they want to do beyond high school. There's a lot of students are out there. They don't know where they want to do. They don't know where they want to go. It allows us to start at that age working with career exploration, thinking about different careers out there, hopefully to transition them from high school to a program here at college or giving them certifications while they're in high school that they can go directly to the workforce itself. 2021 Shenandoah High School graduate Dalton Asmus says attending Iowa Western through Avenue Scholars helped him land a job with Precision Diesel in Red Oak upon graduation. Uh, they gave a bunch of options that you can choose from to go and take and then be a part of at Iowa Western, which is really nice. So it helps. they help a lot with after school, like after high school, like uh, graduating and everything. They help with everything, which is awesome. School districts involved in Aspire include Council Bluffs Lewis Central, AHSTW, Trainer, Riverside, and Tri-Center. That wraps up this week in KMA Lab.
Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.